Father, your word is life. Your word is powerful. And we need your word every day, like we need food to eat for our bodies. And Lord, we ask that you will prepare our hearts, open our hearts to hear and receive your word. May you change us inside and out through your word. May we have something, be encouraged through your word today. Learn something that we can apply to our lives to equip us to live more for Christ every single day. Lord, thank you so much that we get to hear it now. Amen. Reading from the beginning of Paul's first letter to the Corinthian Christians. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the Church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, but uh, it's uh, great to see you all and to gather together today as the Lord's people. Uh, but I wonder how thankful you are right now, how thankful you are wonder how thankful you've been this week. Uh, I did my back in this week, so I haven't been very thankful. <laughs> but uh, if you know anything about there's a kind of um, sort of recent uh, thing called positive psychology that's quite um, popular, and it's, it, there's been lots of research into the benefits of thankfulness, the benefits of thankfulness. Uh, and there's, there's kind of shown to be massive benefits in all different areas of life, these uh, benefits of being thankful. But we all know thankfulness can be really hard, right? And sometimes you get the sense in that kind of uh, framework that you're, asked, you're being asked to live in a kind of unreal world, <laughs> uh, you know, to put on a happy face and just ignore all the very real struggles and pains and regrets of this life. That can at times be just so overwhelming, right? Uh, if, if it's hard to kind of maintain thankfulness in our own personal lives, it can also be really hard to do it uh, in church life too. Uh, well, uh, th I think there's a, there's a kind of irony in that positive psychology secular worldview uh, in that it, that it recognises the benefits of thankfulness, but ultimately it doesn't have anyone to be thankful to. There's no one to be thankful to. The best it can do is give you a kind of generic sense of being thankful to the universe. Hear that? People talking about, just I'm just thankful to the universe. 
But the Christian worldview is much richer than that. Much richer than that. And this makes all the difference for us, friends. We don't vaguely give thanks to some blind or impersonal force if we can muster up enough positivity within ourselves. That's not, not what Christian thankfulness is. We give thanks to a person who we are in an intimate relationship with through the gospel. We give thanks to the triune God who by his spirit has poured out his love and blessing on us in Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to see as we open this letter, what we're going to see is this stunning picture of gospel thankfulness that comes to us from uh, the Apostle Paul. Paul's writing this letter, and basically as you read on, you find out there's lots that he's not thankful for. There's heaps that's going on in the church in Corinth that he is not at all thankful for. There's lots going on in this little gathering that Paul is deeply concerned about, that he knows needs to change. Uh, and, and sometimes, uh, maybe you hear this comment, sometimes I hear it, we just need to be more like the first century church. Well, having read 1 Corinthians, and I'm not, I'm not really so sure about that, actually. This church in Corinth was uh, just so dysfunctional, and there's so much sin going on. And, um, but I reckon if you or I were Paul, we'd probably go to one or two ways to, if we were writing this letter. Uh, the conflict avoiders among us would probably not really address the issues directly. We'd just focus on encouraging the church there. Or the other, on the other extreme, maybe we'd just go cut straight to the chase. Uh, and one author who writes about this put, imagines it like this. As he was writing, his name was Andrew, this author. He says, Andrew, called to be an apostle by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, stop now. Repent, apologize, change your ways, and I might find it in my heart to talk to you again next winter. Grace be with you. Amen. The end, you know, like, that doesn't take very much time to write. But 1 Corinthians, Paul doesn't write that, though. 1 Corinthians is this, it's, it's a masterful, long pastoral letter. He, Paul doesn't go to either of those extremes of just ignoring what's going on or just blasting them for it. He doesn't shy away from the issue. He doesn't charge in like a, like a, a, a what is it, a bullet, a red rag either. Um, he doesn't do that. He openly and strongly addresses all the stuff that's going on, and we'll see that on the way through, but only in the light of what God has already done for them and to them in Jesus Christ. Only in the light of the gospel. Uh, and you actually see that in the big structure of this letter. So there's some slides coming up that give you a bit of an overview of this letter. Uh, 1 Corinthians, this gospel-shaped church, what you find as you read through it is that the whole letter is kind of, there's um, this boundary around it. Chapter 1, the focus is very much on the cross of Christ, and we'll see that over the next few weeks as we read through chapter 1 together. And then at the end, chapter 15, uh, the focus is very much on the resurrection of Jesus. Um, the, chapter 15, the great chapter about the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for our own resurrection. So you've got the cross and resurrection as like the, these parentheses surrounding this letter. And all the way in between, Paul looks at all these different issues. Um, uh, this simplifies things a little bit, but I'll give you a basic idea of the general flow. So in chapter 1 to 4, uh, he talks about divisions in this church and then true unity, what true unity looks like. And that's what we're going to be looking at this term chapter 1 to 4. Uh, then he goes on in chapter 5 to 7 to talk about sexuality 
and true faithfulness. Uh, then there's a section where he talks about, in chapters 8 to 14, idolatry and true worship. So what he does is he, he addresses all these issues that are going on in the church, surrounded by, through the lens of, undergirded by, motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel. So uh, we're looking at the very opening of the letter today, these first nine verses. Uh, uh, and what, what you see here is actually pretty common in Paul's letters. He gives an intro and a thanksgiving. He introduces who, who, who's writing and who's writing to, and then he gives thanks. Uh, but it's not as if Paul's just following a formula here. Sometimes it's easy to just kind of skim over these beginnings of the letters, right? But he's not just following a formula. And it's not also not as if he's kind of buttering them up, you know? He's sort of softening them up before he gives them <laughs> a good punch. No, uh, telling a few white lies in order to get them into a good mood <laughs> before getting to the really meaty stuff. That's not what's going on. Paul really means this. He is so thankful for this church. He looks at this group and he's filled with thankfulness. And what is the source of his thankfulness? What's the basis for it? He's thankful. He's thankful not because of what they have done or what they're doing, much of which is pretty terrible. He's thankful because of what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do in them and through them. And we're going to see that here. Uh, there's two kind of main sections to this passage we're looking at his introduction in verses 1 to 3 and then his thanksgiving. We're going to spend most time in the first three verses. Um, Paul really lays down some important foundations here that flow into the rest of this passage and into the rest of the letter. Those first three verses, easy to skip over, but we're actually going to spend most time there. Uh, also because I'm not sure if I'll run out of steam or not, giving out my baggage, so we'll just see how we go. Um, but he introduces himself uh, at the start of this letter. Introduces himself, and notice how even here, his focus isn't on his achievements, it's on God. Verse 1, he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now, that's probably the same guy, I mentioned this last week, we saw a Sosthenes in Acts 18 who gets beaten up um, by the crowd um, and it's probably the same guy who's since then has be become a Christian and now is travelling around with Paul. It, it may be a different Sosthenes, but um, the fact that he mentions him seems to suggest it was the same guy. And then he goes on to describe the church he's writing to. And just listen out again for how he describes them. To the church of God in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's, there's a lot of shocking things in this letter as you read through. There's a few that are quite shocking, the stuff that's going on, but I reckon actually this is one of the big ones, actually, these verses. Uh, the fact that call, Paul could call this group, this group who were, it seems, pretty self-righteous and proud, uh, they'd hurt people, uh, the fact that Paul could call this group of people those who are sanctified 
in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people. Uh, literally, it's called to be saints. Um, it's the same sort of underlying word. You might see it in a different translation to, to the NIV. I think the reason the NIV has gone for his holy people there is that we generally have the wrong idea of that word saint, right? We think of a saint as some super spiritual, special individual who has achieved a level of impressiveness that the rest of us mere mortals can't possibly reach. Uh, that's what a saint is. That's not the way the Bible uses this idea. It talks about this idea of being a saint. To be a saint, to be sanctified in the Bible, has to, has to do with being set apart for a special purpose. Set apart for a special purpose. It's about your position, your status, your identity. Uh, you get it all through the Old Testament. Israel is called a holy nation, a sanctified people who are set apart for God's uh, the priests in the temple and even, even the utensils they use, you know, the knives and forks, <laughs> or the, the utensils they use are called sanctified, holy. They're set apart for this special purpose. And uh, this is really important, really foundational for us. This church, with all its problems, was actually, in reality, the church of God, sanctified in Christ Jesus, God's holy people, his saints, set apart for him and his purposes. And I think the reason Paul focuses on this here is that to see yourself and to see your church family in this way is actually really radical and transforming, especially when you're dealing with sin and hurts. Uh, we can sometimes think of this idea of sanctification as being an ongoing process, and it is that. There's a, you know, it's sort of, it is used in that way, this ongoing change in our lives that we want to see. We want to see our church, our great desire is to see lives transformed by the gospel in an ongoing way. It's true. Uh, but it's like we saw a few weeks ago, if you were with us in the last series we went through and we looked at uh, this tension of living in the, these last days between Jesus' first and second coming where we are already in Christ and we're called to live out our, our identity, live, live up to it. It's the same thing Paul's focusing on here. The Corinthians are already sanctified, set apart as God's holy people. And what Paul's going to go on to say in the rest of the letter is to call them to live up to that identity, live up to who they really are in Christ. The Corinthians need to know this about themselves, to have this identity firmly settled in their hearts. And so do you. So do we. Now, do you notice how Paul includes us here at the end of verse 2? Uh, he says, Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, all those everywhere, since Paul's actually referencing there, a part of the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, people were called to worship God in one particular place, one special, holy, set-apart place, the temple. By the end of the Old Testament, though, you get this great future hope when this would be changed forever. So uh, the prophet Malachi writes for one, in one example of this, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering 
for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In every place, uh, God will be worshipped. And, and Paul sees this great vision of Malachi actually being fulfilled in Jesus in his own mission to the Gentiles as he goes out and proclaims Christ. Now, through Christ and the Spirit, all people everywhere can call on the name of the Lord. Uh, so, friends, the fact that you and I are here today <laughs> shows this amazing reality. 2,000 years later, on the other side of the globe, we too are those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people. So I want to just pause here and ask a bit of a question. Uh, when you look around, you can even do it now if you want, if when you look around at, your, at the other people here who are gathered together, when you look around at your church family, what do you see? What do you see? Yeah. Or perhaps, perhaps sometimes you see a group of unimpressive strugglers. Um, perhaps sometimes you see people that you're not really that connected to, Kind of a loose collection of individuals, nice enough but not really that significant in your life. Maybe you see one or two people who have hurt you or who you have hurt, maybe. But all those things are only if you are looking through the wisdom of this world, through the eyes of faith, through the lens of the gospel. Who should you see? Saints, a people gathered by the living God of the universe set apart for his wonderful and glorious purpose, a people who you are bound to in Christ and a people who are bound to you, a people you will be with forever in the new creation, who will one day be so glorious that uh, there's this wonderful part in an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote uh, called The Weight of Glory. He says, they'll be so glorious that you would be strongly tempted to fall down and worship them. He writes this, um, should be on the screen. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. See what's going on here. The Corinthians were being torn apart by pride and Paul wants to lift their eyes so that they can see each other properly. See each other through humility and not pride. See each other for who we are. It changes how you see and relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It also changes what you see when you look in the mirror. It changes what you see when you look in the mirror. What do you see? A failure. Uh, someone perhaps who is unworthy of love. No. In, in Christ, you are chosen and set apart. You are a saint in him, loved before the foundation of the world, given a dignity that nothing can shake or touch. Or maybe on the other hand, maybe some of us, if we're honest, can see a consumer in the mirror. Our culture, I, I just mentioned this because our culture, I think this is one of the big ways in which our culture will shape how you see yourself as a consumer. To see this world as basically there for your own entertainment and happiness 
Uh, and, it, and, it, and it can become really easy to bring that kind of consumer mentality to the, the rest of your life, even into the community of God's church. So being a saint lifts us up, but it also, it also gives us a high and holy calling, right? You're not a consumer whose life is there for your own entertainment. You are a saint set apart for his purposes, not your own. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. Okay, well, the foundation's been laid. Foundation's been laid. Uh, and as I said, we're going to go more quickly through the rest of the passage now. Uh, all of this means that Paul can give thanks for the Corinthians with a real and genuine thanks. Real and genuine thankfulness. And what I want to do now is just I'm going to read through uh, his thanksgiving for them. And on the way, just notice how his thankfulness is grounded in God, in what God has done and what God's doing and what God will do. The focus is all on him. So 1 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 4, Paul writes, I always thank my God for you because, because of the great things you are doing for him. No? I always thank my God for you because my hard work in planting your church has paid off. No. <laughs> that's, that's not what Paul thinks. I, what does he say? I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. So Paul had come and given testimony about Christ. That's what we read last week in Acts 18. He'd shared the good news of Jesus with, this, with the Corinthians. But like we saw last week, it was God who was working. It was God who was working. God who was bringing this church into being. And so the great... Paul was just testifying... He wasn't doing the work. He was testifying to the one who had done the work at the cross. So the great fundamental reason Paul looks at this church with thankfulness is because of God's gift, his grace freely given to them through the gospel. Uh, that's that, that past gift of God continues into the present. As you keep reading, verse 7, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. It's really interesting in this Thanksgiving. Paul gives thank, well, the things that Paul gives thanks for. He could give thanks for any number of things. He, he sort of zones in on these things. He says they've been enriched with all kinds of speech and knowledge. They don't lack any spiritual gift here in verse 7. The things he zones in on are actually the very things that are causing real issues in the church. You read on, and these are the things that are causing divisions and problems. And so it's clear that in their pride, this church is abusing these gifts of God, but Paul can still see them as fundamentally good gifts from God. And he gives thanks to God for them. He gives thanks to, for, for what God has done and is doing, and he shifts the focus then in verse 8 to what he will do. Uh, they're waiting for Jesus in verse 7, and not only that, verse 8, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Despite all his concerns, when Paul looks at this church in Corinth, he sees 
a bright future. He says a bright future, a future where they are kept firm and they are blameless when Christ returns. It's a future that's guaranteed not because of their efforts. It's guaranteed because of God. He will do it. It's a hope that is grounded in who God is, in his character. That's what you end up here with in verse 9. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Or as Paul puts it in another letter to the Thessalonians, he says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He will do it. So friends, what Paul models for us here is a rich gospel-shaped thankfulness. It's a thankfulness that's not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on whether things are going well for us in the moment or even whether my own Christian walk is going well or not. Because it's not actually dependent on me at all. It's not dependent on you at all. It really isn't. In the gospel, God has given us a never-ending well of blessing and love and grace and mercy and salvation and forgiveness and hope and peace that we can draw, that can draw out in us a response of thankfulness and praise. Not the kind of weak thankfulness that we started with, you know, kind of papering over things, just slapping on a happy face. That's not the thankfulness here, ignoring sadness or pain, but a deeply grounded thankfulness that is true even perhaps when we don't feel it, even through pain. So, friends, I want to invite you to thank God today. Thank God today. And not just for yourself, not just for yourself, but thank God for your church family, for this gathering of saints of which you are a member. It's so easy to drift into some of the things that we'll look at in this letter, um, some of the things that were plaguing the Corinthians. Uh, pride, cynicism, frustration in our relationships with one another. Uh, Paul's going to address these things head on, but this is where it's, he starts, and I want to suggest that it's where we should start too, seeing ourselves and one another for who we really are in Christ. Um, there's a great uh, little booklet by a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe you've heard of him. He was a, uh, a German theologian, um, early 20th century. Um, and uh, he wrote this little book called Life Together. So really kind of great read. There's just one quote here I want to share for, uh, with you from it. Uh, and yeah, I'll finish with this. He says this, Because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered into common life with them. A bit wordy, but you, you see what he's saying? Because God has done all that. He has laid the foundation. He has bound us together even before we joined together. He has bound us together in Christ. Because of all that, we enter into that common life, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. As thankful recipients. 
we have so much to thank God for. Uh, and perhaps I can do that for us now. Let's pray together. Oh, our God. It's almost too much, <laughs> the grace you have given us, the incredible dignity that you have raised us up to in Christ, and also the high calling of being those who are set apart for your good purposes. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for that for every person here who has called on your name. Lord, we pray for those who have not yet called on your name, that they might enter into that dignity and that purpose even today. Father, we, pray for, we thank you for that for ourselves as individuals, but we thank you for this body, this family that you have called us into, this fellowship of the saints. Oh God, we, uh, we pray that you might draw out within our own hearts a genuine and deep thankfulness that doesn't depend on our circumstances. Please, I pray for, particularly for those who might be really struggling right now, that in some way, in some way, the truth and the bedrock of the gospel would, would come through to our hearts and our minds and that we might be able to give thanks to you. Uh, for all of us, Father, fill us with this kind of gospel-hearted, gospel-shaped thankfulness. Uh, and we pray that that might be a great testimony to the transforming power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.